Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. And my name is Jeff. And we're going to answer your questions today. But first, I have a question, Jeff. Mm -hmm. How are you doing today? I am exhausted. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I worked this weekend and we, it, was, uh, it was a lot of physical labor. And so, I, yeah. I mean, my... Mostly my job involves sitting at a desk. So, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, so having a f whole weekend of physical labor was very exhausting, but yeah, it's over and I get to go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, you know, overall, overall, not bad. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. We, uh, I, I don't know if maybe long-term listeners will remember uh, about two years ago, there was a day when it was really, really windy and I mentioned how we had like a little portable outdoor gazebo thing yeah. that got blown over and destroyed. Oh no. And it happened again. Yeah. It didn't get destroyed though. Okay. Uh, but I was at work a couple days ago. My wife sent me a, a, a text and it was a photo of the gazebo upside down yeah. in our backyard. Jeez. Oh, and you were able to get it back over. We and... were able to get it back over. We, uh, um, Steve came over, we got some of the neighbors to come over and we, we stood it back up. And we, we took the top off, like the, the tarp. And here's here's the worst part about the whole thing. I had literally just put the top back on like two days before. Ugh. If I hadn't done that, if I had waited a week, we would not have had that problem. Sure. And I, you couldn't have known it was going to be that windy. I guess. And, you know. I guess. So we, we took the top off. We're going to secure it down really good. We're thinking of like digging a little hole under each of the, uh, the legs, putting a cinder block down there, and mm. then securing them to the cinder block some some way. We haven't figured out exactly how. One idea was the neighbor said they had a bunch of like really, really heavy duty zip ties. So if each leg is zip tied, like we could have it like four different zip sure. ties per leg. Yeah. That would probably be enough to hold it down. Yeah. Yeah. That could if be. not that, maybe like pour some cement or something. I, I don't want to, I don't yeah. know anything about that. And I, I don't know. Yeah, you could, um, you could potentially put like bolt it to the cinder block in some way, but I don't know. Maybe I don't, yeah. I don't know the best way to, but to do that. Maybe though. like, yeah, like if it was heavy, heavy, heavy duty enough, uh, zip tie, I think that that should probably work. Yeah. Especially if it's a whole bunch of them, Yeah, you know? Um, but we, you know, I, I was afraid the thing was going to be broken. We'd have to buy a new one, which we'll do if we have to, but the, uh, before we, whether we have to replace it or not, before we do anything, we need we needed a way to secure it down because both times this happened, that could have flying to flown towards our house and shattered all the windows in our back porch. Right, it could have flown up into the you know the power cords or something. Sure, like could that. have like gone into the neighbor's yeah. yard. Could have hit a person or an animal and killed them. Yeah, or you know knocked out a fence or something like that. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So. We're, we've been very lucky that nothing like that happened either time. So yeah. whatever we do, we need to make sure that it is safe because right. that, that could have been real bad. But yeah. uh, but it doesn't seem that there's a little bit of damage to it. The tarp is the tarp on top is, is probably done, but it was already all torn anyway. Like, uh, I don't think it was very good quality. So being in the sun for two years, kind of like sure just taking it off for the winter and putting it back on like it had several yeah. little tears so. right yeah. You, yeah you really can only do that so many times with those things you just gonna end up with so many rips and tears in it yeah uh other than that not really too much has been going on you know just yeah. uh just working just trying to yeah keep the fires burning i guess yeah for sure so uh you want to go ahead and get into this episode jeff sure okay i want you to imagine that you 
uh, you have a friend named James. James uh, uh, C. Okay. Say. He says that he is going on an expedition to go and recover or at least photo or like, you know, get photos of or videotape a uh, an underwater boat that has crashed. And he oh. wants you to go with him. Okay. And you go and you, you get together with him. You haven't seen him in a long time. You actually kind of forgot what he looked like. I'll get to his appearance in just a moment. But <laughs> you... Uh, <laughs> You get you get together. Um, he's got this like you know this this big machine that you guys are going to climb into and you're going to go down underwater in it. Okay. And you get in there and it's a real tight fit. Okay. Huh. Partly because your friend James is uh, about thirty feet tall. <laughs> he has uh, a long tail that mm. every time like you turn around it slaps you in the face. No, oh, dang it. He apologizes, but you know you have the feeling it's it's on purpose because you, you didn't. <laughs> You didn't pay him back that 20 bucks that you owe him. Oh, yeah. And uh, anyway, but you guys, uh, you you go down in this this submersible thing. You go down there. You're underwater. You're underwater. James turns on the, the brights. And you see that you have not found a crashed boat. Oh. You have found a giant underwater pile of gold and silver and rubies Ooh. and all sorts of cool stuff. And you realize that uh, this is all a front. He wanted to show off something to you. And do you know what he wanted to show off to you? What was that, Gabe? James Cameron wanted to show off his dragon's horde. (laughs) So, fun fact about the movie Titanic. Right. The movie Titanic came about because James Cameron wanted to take an expedition down to see the Titanic... And he needed a way to raise money to do it. So he was like, well, I'll just make a movie out of it. Right. Yeah, I had so, heard that. <laughs> so that's what he did. Is it wasn't that that they is it James Cameron who did Avatar? Yes. It like wasn't it was basically like I need an excuse to do the I want this I want to try out this new tech. Oh probably. Or like I wanted probably. to he wanted to develop like the like face capture stuff or something like that. So yeah. he was like, Well it's, I'll just make a movie that has to be in space or something. Sounds like him. Or whatever. Him and Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, all of his movies for the last twenty years have been I wanna take all my friends to Hawaii. Right. Let's make a movie that takes place in Hawaii. Yeah. With all my friends, of <laughs> With course. With all my friends, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, so today's item was submitted by Shadowhand Silverbones via uh-huh. email. And this item is actually an item from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Mm-hmm. I uh, I figured we'd take a little bit of a change from from the items that we've got. Still got plenty of items submitted by listeners, like homebrew items. But I wanted to talk about this one. And this item is the Apparatus of Qualish. <laughs> or, depending on whether you're using an official, like the Dungeon Master's Guide or not, it is also known as the Apparatus of the Crab. Oh, so like in the huh. in the system reference document, sure, it is the apparatus of the of the crab because Qualish is a trademarked name. Gotcha. So, yeah, uh, yeah, and it like the the device itself is very crab like. It is. It is. So the apparatus of the crab, which is how it is listed on on Roll Twenty, so like Roll Twenty dot net, uh, it's listed on there. It is. Uh, it first appears to be a large sealed iron barrel weighing five hundred pounds. The barrel has a hidden catch, which can be found with a successful DC-20 intelligence investigation check. Hmm. Revealing the catch unlocks a hatch at one end of the barrel, allowing two medium or smaller creatures to crawl inside. So you guys were really crammed in there. Yeah. Because I didn't say what size category James Cameron is, but I imagine uh, (laughs) at at least large. Uh, Ten levers are set in a row on the far end, each in a neutral position, able to move either up or down. 
When certain lovers are used, the apparatus transforms to resemble a giant lobster, which is very bizarre because it is not called the apparatus of the, the lobster. lobster. It's called the apparatus of the crab. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. I don't know which one to believe, the name or the description. Right. Uh, I don't know. The apparatus of the crab is a large object with the following statistics. Has armor class 20, 200 hit points, a speed of 30 feet, and a swim speed of 30 feet, or zero feet for both if the legs and tail are not extended. And it is immune to poison and psychic damage because okay. it is an object. Right. To be used as a vehicle, the apparatus requires one pilot. While the apparatus's hatch is closed, the compartment is airtight and watertight. The compartment holds enough air for 10 hours of breathing, divided by the number of breathing creatures inside. The apparatus floats on water. It can also go underwater to a depth of 900 feet. Below that, the vehicle takes 2d6 bludgeoning damage per minute from pressure. A creature in the compartment can use an action to move as many as two of the apparatus's levers up or down. After each use, a lever goes back to its neutral position. Each lever from left to right functions as shown in the apparatus of the crab levers table. Oh. So I'm not going to, um, there's a big table here. I'm not going to read like everything, but I will say just briefly what each one does. The first lever makes the legs and tail extend and allows it to walk and swim. Number two, the forward window shutter opens. So it lets you see out the front basically. Gotcha. Uh, I imagine there is glass there. <laughs> Otherwise, you open it up and water just, just water rushes in. Rushes in. Um, uh, number three, the side window shutters open. There's two shutters per side. Number four, two claws extend from the front sides of the apparatus. So it's got two claws. Number five makes each extended claw attack. So you can make two attacks with it. They've you know got an attack bonus and they deal bludgeoning damage and so on. Uh, number six, the apparatus walks or swims forward. Number seven, the apparatus turns 90 degrees left. Number eight, eye-like fixtures emit bright light in a 30-foot radius and dim light for an additional 30 feet. Hmm. So when you're underwater, they provide uh, little headlights. Right. Number nine, the apparatus sinks as much as 20 feet in liquid. And number 10, the rear hatch unseals and opens. So basically, you can, I think each person, it was that each person can move two levers per round. And then a lever makes you move forward, a lever makes you turn, a lever makes you attack, hmm. that sort of stuff. So yeah. basically, it's a little tiny submarine Yeah. that you could use to attack if you wanted to. You could use it to explore. You could move around on land with it. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting how, like, it just how very specific all the, like, the mechanics of it are. Yeah. It, it can well, only turn 90 degrees. Sure. Right. It's like, <laughs> like so you can't attack things that aren't in front of it. I guess yeah. I guess it's that's very silly. It's it, that it's not just like okay, you have this thing and like you know you're you you know you're 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 just a large creature with these statistics. Yeah, that would probably be an easier way to do it. Right. But uh, I don't know. I I kind of like how janky it is. Right. Yeah. You know. There, yeah. There there is sort of a thing to it. But it's like I. So much easier if I just had a swim speed and a in a in a in an underwater breathing of some kind. Like yeah. that, those aren't that hard to get. You know? Right, right. <laughs> also, this this item's been around for a long time. I yeah. don't know if it was in first or second edition. Mm. I know it was in third edition. Yeah, third for and sure. It, it felt like an established item by that point. Yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah. That that's. I think that's a, a big part of it. Is like it is. It is very iconic. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just a goofy little crab shaped. Uh, uh, summary: Lobster-shaped crab, uh, crab <laughs> yeah, thing. Exactly, exactly. It's a lobster-shaped crab. 
So yeah, um, I do know that Shadowhand Silverbones likes this item. Yeah, he has uh, he has mentioned it in the past. Uh, when we were doing the Age of Worms campaign, I I decided that Qualish was a character. I mean, I'm sure that they're they're in somebody's one of the game developers' games way back 30 years ago. There probably was yeah. a character named Qualish, mm. but uh, I, I it was kind of as a goof. There was an early adventure where. Where Shadowhand Silverbone's character was a he was a gnome, and he had the ability to speak with a burrowing creature. And I, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but basically, like it turned out that there was someone in his bag of holding. He didn't realize it at the time, but like there, I decided that there was someone who was living in his bag of holding. Yeah, and I eventually had that pay off like ten levels later. Right, and uh, there was, I think at one point as a clue to this. He was looking through his bag and he found a book in his bag that he didn't put there. Like a book just found its way into it. Was it was already in his bag, I guess. Yeah. And I I was just like making up a name and I called the book The Tabletop Scribblings of Qualish. And, you know, just pulling one of the many like D D names in my head, just right, pulled yeah. it out of there. And then I was like, you know, let me let me actually think about that. And then so I decided that Qualish was a person. Mm-hmm. Who, who invented the apparatus of Quillish and then at some point, like, went into hiding or something, and he, he hid himself away inside this bag of holding that could fold out into, like, an extra-dimensional house, basically. Right, yeah. Because I think the whole, like, the whole burrowing thing was... Because Quillish was a gnome. Oh, right, right. Quillish was a gnome, and Shadowhand Silverbones was, like... I, I forget where we were fighting exactly. Yeah. It was something very large... Oh, but he right. basically attacked okay, his yeah. way through a monster. Yeah, and we were we were like, oh my god, does he count as burrowing? Is he a burrowing small burrowing <laughs> creature? It's like, oh, would a gnome be able to 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 communicate with him? And, and I was like, uh, yes, actually, if, a gnome does communicate. In with fact, you, you say you, you hear somebody say, oh hi there. You're like, yeah. <laughs> that was basically it was like, hello. <laughs> yeah, uh, weird weird circumstances, but um, <laughs> it all comes back to the apparatus of Quillish. I think this is a fun item. Yeah. It looks real goofy. Yeah. You know, there's a picture of it in the third edition DMG. I don't remember if there's a I don't remember if there's a picture of it in the fifth edition DMG, but uh if so, I will try to find a picture of it. Um I don't know, it's just a fun item. Fun item. I've never actually seen one in an actual game, but Right, yeah. I don't yeah, I don't think I've ever seen one used. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's a cool item. Put it in your game and see what your players do with it. Yeah, like put it like real early on and just, you know, like just have like a fun underwater adventure. Yeah, you yeah. Know. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll do it for our uh, for the Dragon's Horde for today. So once again, that was submitted by Shadowhand Silverbones via email. So thank you, Shadowhand Silverbones. Jeff, if anybody wanted to submit magic items for us to discuss, or if they had questions for us to discuss, or stories for the funeral pyre, how would they get those to us? They could send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. Yes, that is correct. And before we go any further, we have a giveaway to give away today. Mm-hmm. As always, we're giving away a copy of Chapel on the Cliffs, courtesy of Goblinstone. Chapel on the Cliffs is a, uh, a great adventure. It is a low-level 5th edition adventure for, I think, 2nd through 6th level characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there might be a reference to this adventure later on in the episode. Oh, okay. Spoilers. So, Jeff, who is our winner of this wonderful adventure today? Our winner today is Jonathan S. Whoa, 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 winner. winner. Gobble, gobble. 
gobble, gobble. Yes. Congratulations, Jonathan S. You should be getting that in your email in the next uh, few days. If you don't get it in about a week, let us know. And uh, be sure to leave Goblin Stone a review. They're a great adventure developer, and they would love to get your feedback and continue to make great products. And uh, we also want to thank all of our patrons for making uh, making this show happen, really. Mm-hmm. We uh, have a Patreon at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. And if you go there, you can pledge to donate a certain amount of money per month to help uh, keep the lights on and such, cover hosting fees and equipment and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Thank you so much to everybody who is a uh, patron. We've got some cool stuff. I write fantasy fiction every month. I've got uh, outtakes on there. We do a monthly bonus podcast called Interpatron Conflict. Right. That uh, we come out with once a month. We've also got uh, a monthly Roll20 game. So last week we did another game of the uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 RPG. Yeah. That I think went very, very well. Yeah, yeah. We had a good time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so we've also, also, if you're the top tier, I will write about your character for my fantasy fiction. Nice. So yeah, we've got some cool rewards on there. So go over and check out patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. See if anything appeals to you. If you can spare a dollar a month, that would help make the show better and you'll get some cool bonus content for it. Also, I want to say a, a huge shout out and a big thank you to Jason, who is a new patron. Oh, awesome. So, Jason, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, we really, really appreciate your your contribution. And I hope uh, hope you get some cool, I, I hope you get some enjoyment out of the rewards that are already on there and that continue to come out. And if you have any ideas for how we can make it better, let us know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so thank you so much, Jason. Thank you all the rest of our patrons. And uh, yeah, patreon.com slash conflict. And then one last thing, check out the other podcasts on the Crit Nation Fellowship Crit Academy. Justin, Ian, and Brandon create new and reusable content for players and DMs alike. They recently had an episode about a sorcerer archetype that they made. Oh, they cool. made a supplement on uh, on DMs Guild. They also actually they've made a few supplements on DMs Guild recently. Uh-huh. But they they in particular they had an episode about a uh, sorcerer origin, the Gun Mage. Okay, which is a sorcerer that like they 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 have a unique focus. That is a gun, basically. Gotcha, but yeah. like they get special stuff that they can basically like use the propulsion of their gun to let them use the dash action as a or dash as a bonus action. Like they <laughs> fire as they like run away. Neat. They can uh like channel spells through it. I don't know. They've got some really cool stuff on there. They just huh. talked about it on their most recent episode as of this recording. So uh so check out that episode. They also Justin wrote a uh, barbarian archetype mm-hmm. called the Path of the Brawler, I think. But um, yeah, so that product's out there too. I believe both of them are pay what you want on DMs Guild. I could be wrong, but I think you at least the Path of the Brawler you can get for free. But if you like it, you can always donate some money to them. Right. They, they also, as I mentioned previously, they also wrote a um, book all about their like unearthed tips and tricks from their show, which I helped write. So check that out as well. You can find links to all those on CritAcademy.com. Also, D&D Character Lab, Garen and Dan make uh, characters yeah. every week and then pit them against each other and mm-hmm. debate whose is better. And also, Brute Force and Ignorance is an actual play on the network as well. So check out all those podcasts. They're great. Got some great stuff for you, for everybody who is a fan of the of the medium. So check them out. You want to go ahead and get into some questions, Jeff? Sure. Awesome. Our first question comes from Ethan on email. And they ask, what should I do if a player wants to multiclass Paladin and Warlock? Would their god be okay with the character having a patron and vice versa? Yeah. Um... I mean, 
right off the bat, like the paladin warlock combo is really good. It is a mechanically yes, it is yeah. a it is a very common com- it's a very it's a very well known combo. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a really neat uh Combination of abilities between you can use spell slots to power your smites as a paladin and warlock spell slots come back after short rests. So yeah. you can like, you know, it's, it's a little bit of you're gaming the system a little bit. You know, that's a not bit, necessarily yeah. a bad thing. Right. And there's the synergy because they, 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 you know, both spell castings go off of charisma, I believe, with or is it wisdom with paladin? Uh, I, I mean, there is there is some charisma needed with paladin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for sure. uh, so there's definitely a lot of synergy and a lot of people like this combo for that reason. Yeah. And so the issue that Ethan is having is that one of their players wants to do this. Mm -hmm. And I guess they they were a paladin first and they want to multi-class into warlock. Sure. And so Ethan was asking, you know, what should I do? Should I let, should I let this happen? How should it work out in the story? Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess let me, let me just briefly describe for anybody maybe who isn't familiar with paladins or warlocks. Sure. Um, Traditionally, in previous editions, paladins were strictly lawful good followers of a deity or just like the powers of good. They smite evil. They, you know, they get cleric spells. They summon a steed. They wear heavy armor, blah, 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 so on. Yeah. It, they've changed quite a bit since third edition. Fourth edition had no alignment restrictions and really not even because it, it was so much more focused on combat. I don't even think there was restrictions on like you had to follow a certain faith or code or anything. Yeah. In fifth edition, they changed up the paladin a bit. It is no longer restricted to alignment. It is, I mean, it, some of the, co- some of the oaths maybe f- make more sense with a given alignment, but right, yeah. you don't have to be a certain alignment. You just, you choose a code or an, an oath Yeah. and you have to stick to the tenets of that oath in whatever form that, that following that the, those tenets is going to take. Yeah. So, you don't even technically have to have a deity. So I think for the for the sake of this argument, I think we should probably maybe think of a cleric and a warlock rather than a paladin and a warlock. But paladin, I think, has its own its own nuance in that case too. But yeah. um, the paladin, they make an oath. They gain their powers from this oath. There can be evil paladins. There can be good paladins. There can be lawful paladins, chaotic paladins, neutral paladins, the whole everything. It is, it is no longer alignment based it is based on really your actions and mm. your motivations yeah. i guess a warlock on the other hand is someone who they make a pact with a some sort of a being that is uh explicitly for power all right i mean from from my understanding the agreement between a warlock and their patron is I will give you this power the patron says I will give you this power in exchange for you being devoted to me yeah. In ways that we set out, you know, right. we, we we decide here and now. Yeah, Sor- sorcery is you're bo- you're born with the power. Uh-huh. Wizard is you learn the power. Like, do you do the hard the homework yeah. and learn the power? Warlock is you make a deal with the devil, so to speak. Yeah, to get the power, you you you, you make a sh- you get the you take the shortcut. Sure, you know you sure. take the shortcut, but at a greater co- at a at a great cost. Yeah. And it that can be that you are literally making a deal with the devil. Yeah. Like there is a uh, warlock patron that is the fiend. The fiend. The arch fiend that right. like gives you demonic powers. But that's not – and that's probably the most common like image people have of a warlock. Mm-hmm. But there are that other – That or the Cthulhu one. But. Sure. There, there is also the great old one or the 
yeah, the great great old one, which is like you make a pact with some sort of an unknowable eldritch abomination or something like Cthulhu or right, yeah. or Thurisdun, who is like a a god that was kicked out of Godland because he was too <laughs> crazy and nobody you know nobody could handle him or whatever. Right. Uh, there is also the Archfey, and these are just in the player's handbook. There's the Archfey, which is you make a pact with some sort of a powerful fey creature. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, then there's other ones. There's even a celestial pact where you make a pact with a celestial. Right. So it is not, it does not have to be that you are making an evil deal or that you are, uh, you have to do things you don't want to do. It could mm-hmm. be mutually beneficial for both people for any alignment. Yeah. You know, so um, the, the question then is, you know, would, would a, a deity for a paladin or a cleric mm-hmm. be okay with that character also having a patron? Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts off the top of your head? I mean, I, I already gave Ethan a, a detailed explanation sure. in an email, but I will I will go over that. I mean, there's there's definitely several ways to go about this, mm-hmm. and like none of them are wrong, and all of them could be in very interesting. It's all very specific on how you want this to go about, yes. and like how because it sounds like you know that they've tied the paladin to a god already, mm-hmm. so like he's he's got a god, yep. and that's maybe that's just how he wanted that character to be. Um. Um, that's maybe that's how the player you know made the paladin you yeah. know they had that in mind um you could a make it so that the patron is still the god you're you're could just be. getting different powers from yeah. that god the god is the patron and like you can just flavor doesn't matter what pact it is you just flavor it that way yeah you know yeah. like the um even the un, un uh the um the old god one where, yeah. where i think eventually you get like a thrall or something like that Maybe it's not a thrall. Maybe you're just like convincing them of your holiness and okay. they are devoted to you for a short time and or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you can definitely like flavor it that like the patron and the god are, this, are, are the same. Yeah, v- very much so. Uh, it, it de- I, I've said before, like level and class and all that, these are game mechanics. They don't have to be separate in they don't have to be distinct in the story unless you want them to right if you the dm do want there to be both a deity and a patron okay Mm -hmm. then there is but it could also be that the character is not two classes they are just one class and that one class for the first couple levels gains the first couple levels of paladin and then the next couple levels gains the first couple levels of warlock Mm -hmm. and then paladin and so on yeah it very well could be that they just have a deity and they get varying powers from the deity. Right. You usually when I make when I when I'm coming up with concepts that involve multi-classing, that's most of the time how I'm thinking of it. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. or it's like, oh, okay, they're they're just like this is this is what I'm trying to get to. And the way I get to that is with the you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But yeah. like I see myself as this one this end goal here. Sure. Versus, you know, like I am a warrior and then I retire as a warrior to pick up spell casting or something yeah. like that. Which, you know, could be interesting. Could be. Could be. I, I always think that that it causes a lot of problems that a lot of new DMs don't know how to deal with. Because mm. then there's always the like, oh, well, he was a rogue for three levels and now he wants to take a level of wizard. But it takes years and years and years to become a wizard. So how do I rationalize that he's going off and doing this and then coming back. You don't have to rationalize anything. It could just be that the whole time he has been focusing on both things. He just, his spell casting hasn't gotten to a point yet where he has been able to cast spells. Right. He's not going to be a, you know, if he's three levels of rogue and one level of wizard, he's not a fourth level wizard. He is a first level wizard. So like he's at the beginning of his spell casting. Yeah. So he just kind of like, 
He's he's been re- he's been reading up on it as he's been backstabbing people. Exactly, you know, exactly. Like you know, a book in one hand, a knife in the other. Yeah, Justin from Crit Academy, he does this sort of thing a lot. Mm. Um, for our our actual play, he put together a, a combination of barbarian and bard, with the idea that it's again, it's not that he has two classes, it's that he is a voice of the ancients, is sure. what he called it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like you know, he's set up for the first few levels at least. He's going to get this barbarian ability, and then this bard ability, and then this barbarian ability, and so on. And he also during one of our other roll twenty games a while back, he had. Um, he made a combination of fighter and barbarian that he flavored as being the symbiote from Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. mechanically, it was exactly as as if he was just a multi-class fighter barbarian, but he had like he had written them out as first levels this, second levels this, and so yeah. on. And he went and I guess he posted on the fifth edition DD message board on our uh Facebook group. Mm-hmm. He posted it. He was like, hey, what do you guys think of this? And everybody was like, oh, that's so broken. Why would you, you know, how can you give him all this stuff that's way more powerful? And he was like, dude, it is exactly the same as if I multi-class these two classes. But because he made it look like one class, right. people immediately were like, well, no, no, you can't do that. That's too powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting way to do it. Like, I didn't realize he did that. I think I thought he was just flavoring Barbarian. He also had some fighter in there, but but that's, well, yeah. his rage was he was bringing yeah. out the symbiote. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought it was just like, yeah, he was just taking... He was just taking barbarian and flavoring it differently, mm-hmm. which is like one of the things he like they they do a lot in the, on that show. It's like they come up with a really cool like flavor like yeah. flavor text ideas for different classes and stuff. But yeah, that is sort of interesting as like you publish it, you write it out as it's a one class, but mm-hmm. really it's just a level of this, a level of that. Sure, that's actually kind of a cool idea. Yeah, um, and it's it's all it just that's. Once I realized that, like I had a realization many years ago while playing D&D, like once I realized it is all about how it is presented. Yeah. So that's why I reflavor so many things in my games because I've realized that D- you can look at D&D as this collection of very like set in stone rules mm-hmm. or you can look at it as a whole bunch of pieces of clay. And it's all about, well, I take a little bit of this piece of clay, yeah. slap it on here. Now that other piece of clay looks like something completely different. Yeah. And they've all been there the whole time. It's just a question of whether you're able to see them as pieces that can be taken apart and fit together and mm. so on. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Big, big tangent here. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's all numbers and opportunities. Yeah. Like, you know, if the, as long as those are still balanced the same way, like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what everything else is as right. long as, you know. So getting back to the question, um, like you were saying, Jeff, that it doesn't have to be that the patron is a separate entity. Right. I think that it could, it, even if you want it to be a separate entity, the two entities don't have to be at odds. In the email that Ethan sent me, the I believe Ethan mentioned that the player's deity was this like Forgotten Realms deity of the ocean or something. It was like this ocean deity. It was okay. like Istitia, mm-hmm. I think it was what it was called. And I was thinking, uh, depending on which, uh, which patron that the the player wants like the archfiend or the great old one or the archfey or whatever it could very well be that his deity is a deity of the sea and there are powerful creatures that live in the sea that are below the deity and the player is making an additional deal with that one right now like let's say for example i work for i don't know a big like automobile manufacturer and then I've, I have my job that I do for that automobile manufacturer. And then one day, one of the people below the CEO 
comes to me and says, okay, I'm going to give you a special project that I want you to do in addition to your uh, your regular duties. Not in addition to, I don't know, overseeing some sort of car manufacturer. I also have to like start researching, uh, you know, airbags or something. Right. Then I'm given additional duties, but also additional pay. The CEO isn't going to fire that, you know, isn't going to be pissed off at that, like, right. that that team leader or whatever. You're still for, working for the overall cause of exactly, the company. But, exactly. You know, yeah. And, like, I imagine that in that case, the, the, the team leader or whatever mm-hmm. would be doing that under instruction by the CEO. But the CEO doesn't necessarily have to come directly to me and be like, I want you to do this. Right. They could delegate it to someone below them to, you know. Right. To... to find people to do this job. So it very well could be that you are just dealing with different tiers of, mm. of uh, hierarchy and different ones give you different benefits in, re- in return for different things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, one of the two of them is the one that you follow, you know, when all said, it's all, all said and done. Right. Um, there was, there was something that we had come up with a while back was the idea of a warlock who thinks he's a paladin. There you go. So, yeah. so this in a similar way could be that it's the patron and the deity are the same, but it's not that it's the deity that it's just like the deity is giving them newer powers. Mm-hmm. It's that the deity was actually a patron in disguise or something like that. Like Ooh, the the patron like that. Yeah, the patron is just sort of like slowly working their way in, you know, into this person's, you know, uh into this person's life. So like yeah. you start off by giving them these divine powers that are, you know, or they or at least they think they're divine powers, but yeah. it's like you know it's a paladin abilities, and then eventually you start getting warlock abilities, and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. But <laughs> well, he says he's a deity, and he looks like my deity, so I'm gonna just keep going along with that. And then later on, there's like a big reveal, like oh, you've been getting your powers from the devil. Oopsies, like <laughs> right, you know, right. That could be a neat way to do it. Yeah. Um, or it really could just be. That they are two different things and they're sort of at odds, but like they're kind of like fighting over you. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you are you are this person that has like this great role to play in the in the campaign or whatever, you know, thing is going on. Mm-hmm. But like the like they're trying to like win you over. You get like a like the angel and devil on your shoulders sort of situation. There you go. So but maybe like, it's a literal angel and devil yeah. on your literal shoulders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like yeah, you're you're you know, you're you're sort of getting torn at like you know, torn one way or the other. It's like, well, I'm getting these powers from this guy, these like this evil guy. Like the devil's giving me powers, but I'm using it for good. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, is my deity, is my God going to be mad about that? Well, I'm still doing good, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, that sort of thing, it can be a little hard to rationalize if they are so diametrically opposed. Sure. Like you have a, the your deity is like the lawful good deity of whatever. And there's like an arch demon that is giving you power. You know, you can still make it work yeah. as long as you don't think too hard about it. But if it's something that's less less in direct opposition, then, yeah, there's there's tons of potential. You mentioned earlier there's, like, role play potential for every one of these options. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I love the Warlock for that reason alone because there are so many cool role play opportunities for yeah. what you can do with this patron. Um, another thing that is – one thing that is different about a Warlock's patron – and a deity that grants you spells, like a for a cleric or such, is that with a warlock, the agreement does not have to be something that both of you are happy about. Right. It could be that maybe you 
you made you made that agreement when you got drunk one day and you signed a deal with a devil and now you have all this power and you are actively working against your patron. Right. Once once a warlock is given powers from their patron, they have those powers. Right. They probably can't get more powers unless, you know, additional powers unless the patron you know, they're on good terms with their patron. But like in theory, you could make a warlock that is actively working against your patron and still has access, still has access to the powers you already have. You wouldn't be able to gain more levels most likely, Mm -hmm. but the ones you already have, you have, Hey, maybe the patron is going to send some people to go and kill you or take those powers back or something. Great role play opportunity. I'll just put that out there, but it is not explicitly that you have a constant give and take from the patron. Right. Like the the way that you get your powers doesn't yeah doesn't have to be like you know I signed a piece of paper or something mm-hmm. like that it could mm-hmm. be like a Freaky Friday situation where you actually like <laughs> sure I accidentally bumped into the devil and got some of his powers and now he has some of your crippling anxiety right <laughs> <laughs> right I really like that actually that's not the crippling anxiety part but that's that's actually a really cool idea yeah yeah it's just like just like very very weird circumstances <laughs> you know you like you ab- accidentally absorb some of the patron's power and then like maybe the the connection that you have with your patron is the patron trying to get those powers back yeah oh, oh yeah like the robot devil's hands that's pretty good <laughs> that's pretty good from futurama i just had an idea harry potter's a warlock <laughs> like right yeah he got he, he has some of voldemort's powers yeah because Voldemort accidentally gave him some of his powers. Right. And that is definitely one of the things in in that series is that like 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 is he special because he's special like is he special because he's Harry Potter or is he special because he's got Voldemort in him? That's yeah. part of what Voldemort is like no you're like you're just a kid and you just got lucky and have some of my powers because yeah. I'm awesome. You know that yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um so, so yeah, like with a patron, it, it, it often is that you made an explicit deal with this being, but it doesn't mm. have to be. There, right. There's lots of different, especially if having the character make an explicit deal with a demon or whatever goes against what you want for the campaign, then try to come up with a, a, a better way to have it fit into the campaign, a way that is less, uh, less standard. Yeah. Know? So, and, and like you were saying, Jeff, it very much could be that your patron and your deity do not like each other. They are at odds. And that could be a big turning point for the campaign. Maybe there's a point where the character has to make a choice of which one they're going to go with. And then whichever one they choose not to go with, they lose all of those powers. Maybe they convert them immediately to they convert all their paladin levels to warlock levels or vice versa. Right. Or, or um, they just can't take more. They decide or or not. they just can't take more. Well, maybe, it, maybe it's less that they can't take more. It's that just like I've, that they've like, they're only in it for two levels of warlock so that they can get the invo- the uh, invocations or whatever like yeah. that. Because, you know, when you're building a multi-class character, sometimes like a, a, a two level dip into warlock is usually beneficial to sure, whatever sure. build because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, they might just be like, I just want a couple levels of it. So I'm going to have this like this two level affair with a, with a with a patron. Oh, OK. And then and then you go back to your God and be like, sorry about that, God. But hey, look what I can do. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Um, you could even depending on what deity you have, because mm-hmm. there's lots of different deities, all with lots of different temperaments. Uh, some deities, I think it would make perfect sense for them to say to their followers, hey, 
go and make a deal with that guy over there, get some of his power, and then say screw you. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, we can use it against him or yeah. you know. It's like go go yeah, go get these powers so you can use them for what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I am all for players or or patrons breaking deals with warlocks like like warlocks breaking deals with patrons and patrons breaking deals with warlocks mm. i think that the fact that it is an explicit deal has so much role play potential yeah. and you're missing out if you don't exploit that at some point or another right. you know whereas with a deity a lot of the time it's like oh you uh didn't donate money to the church today okay snap fingers you lost all your powers yeah because yeah, that's like, less that's less fun in my opinion yeah like in third edition there was all those rules about like ex-paladin yeah yeah like when you lost your paladin abilities like you had to like atone to get them back that's and so, so that's just that's i don't it, know it has its place but i it's less it's less interesting to me like yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not fun to lose your abilities. If part of the adventure is, like, going and atoning for something, mm-hmm. that's fine. Like, you know, that's what if that's what your character wants to do or whatever. But, like, I, I feel like, like, removing powers from a player like that, yeah, that's a little rough. Yeah, and um, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that I personally don't think a paladin should ever lose their powers by mistake. Like a, a player should never accidentally lose their paladin's powers. Right. It should be like it should always be like they're making a conscious decision. If they are, if the player's playing a paladin and the DM doesn't think that they are following their oath or whatever, mention it to them. Yeah, make it w- no- warn them. Yeah, make it known in some way. Like yeah. even if it is just like a beam of light comes up and is like, hey, if you do this thing you're about to do, I'm I'm cutting I'm cutting you off. Yeah. You know, and they and then so like Maybe they're making a moral decision based on, on like their own, you know, their own thoughts, you know, whether than their God's thoughts. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, I want to save this person, but he's an evil person. Yeah. So my God doesn't want me to, but I want to. So, yeah. Like, so you make that decision and oh, OK, then he switches your powers off. But you you got to make that decision. Yeah. If it is that like the player chooses, I'm going to do this, even though it's going to lose me my powers. Awesome. I love yeah. it. I yeah, love cool. that. That's great. Go for it. If it is that they made a mistake, even if they are trying, like if you if you mention to them, hey, you know, if you don't change this up, you're probably going to lose their powers. If they are even like trying to not lose their powers, if if they're trying but doing a bad job of it, I would still le- let them keep their powers because if if is that player, if it is that the player just doesn't isn't good enough at the game to sure. to not lose their powers or doesn't have their same understanding of that deity that you might there you go like you might just... you might have read a an extra book about this specific deity that sure. that player hasn't so you don't know that like so they don't have that full understanding of what exactly that deity might want or something yeah i just think that if the player did not purposely make their character lose their powers it's not going to be fun to lose their powers yeah and it, if you're sure if you're making fighters lose their powers, too, because they didn't go training or right, you yeah, make the wizard lose their powers because they didn't study their spell book that day or whatever, then, OK, fine. If you're being across the board, go for it. But I don't think that there's anything so incredibly powerful about a paladin that it is fair to hold them to such a high role playing standard. Right. Yeah. You know, paladin is a nice, powerful class. But like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, heck, though, if you're going to. If you're going to enforce uh, every class losing their powers, I could be down for that. That could be interesting. If that's, if that's the point of the campaign. Right, yeah. I, I'm. That actually sounds kind of cool. It's neat. 
this is a bit of a tangent, and I was actually thinking of going into this on a different episode, but I'll mention it now. Um, in the Adventure Zone. Okay. Um, the Adventure Zone for the last, like, six months or so has been doing this. It's not the original story they started with. It's a different story, different game, whatever. One of the characters, uh, the game system they're using is called Monster of the Week, which is sort of like uh, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer type oh, right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that one. Uh, one of the characters is, the class he chose is basically like the chosen one. Mm-hmm. And it's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He is really strong, really durable. He has some sort of a, like a, a, a prophetic goal to his character. And he has a whole bunch of abilities that make him like just better than normal people in every in every regard, uh, with the intention of eventually fulfilling whatever goal he's supposed to fulfill. Yeah. Well, they they went through a couple story arcs, and then there was a point where the character, like he he's he has uh, he would like periodically get these visions from this like being that I think is on another planet. I'm not sure. Some sort of being would like send him these visions, train him to be the chosen one. And there was a point at the end of one of the story arcs where she revealed that, like, my planet's about to get destroyed. I can't give you any visions anymore. You are on your own now. And then, like, he lost sight of her and he doesn't have his powers anymore. He is no longer a chosen one. Mm. The The player, I guess, had an idea for something to change up his character. He changed out his class. For, instead of being the chosen one, he is now basically... The Everyman. There's another class that came out in a supplement uh-huh. that is like, there is nothing remarkable about you whatsoever. And all of his abilities come from the fact that he is so unimposing and boring that like, it's easy for him to convince people to do what he wants them to do because it's like, he is so inconspicuous. Like, why wouldn't I believe this guy? There is nothing special about him whatsoever. <laughs> and so his entire story arc now has been... I don't I was the chosen one my entire life and now I'm just a normal dude. I can be killed just like anybody else can. Now what do I do? Yeah. Now and, what? <laughs> uh, anyway, as a care if if the DM had enforced that on the player, I think that would have been real bad. Mm-hmm. But it was the player's choice, at least my understanding, and I think that's so cool. Yeah, that's such, pretty such neat. a cool such a cool change. So, um I guess to to summarize my thoughts on this question, if it's if the player wants to do it, Start with the assumption it's going, it can work. Let's find the most interesting way for the, for us to make it work. Yeah. Whether that is, if, if it is easiest for you to just have the patron and the, and the deity be the same person or in the same hierarchy, do that. If you think it would be interesting for the two to be at odds, work it into the story and have it be an awesome moment later on where it all comes to a head and the player either has to choose or... I don't know. Maybe that's the climax of the campaign or something. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, because I, I just I just don't see it being fun for most of the group. Yeah, to re- to restrict like what your what the player wants to do with their character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. gen- generally speaking, I think you should whatever the player wants to do, find a way to make it work as best as possible. Yeah. And you know, that's just it's it's so much more yeah. fun in my experience than just saying no. Yeah, I feel like if it works within the rules, find a way for it to work within your campaign. Yeah. You know. Our next question comes from Adam B on Discord, and they ask, We recently had a character death in our campaign. Although that player has made a new character, another player is upset by the death and is now insisting that the party should go on a quest to resurrect the fallen PC, even if it derails the campaign. What should I do? 
So this also kind of goes along. Uh, it, it It is also on the spectrum of like letting your players do what they want to do. But I, I think there's a very different take on it. Yeah. Because this, this is like very specifically derailing a, yeah. a an adventure um, campaign. If, if, I mean, I, there's, there's a lot of ways to tackle this question. If a player wants to do something that is going to derail a campaign, um, I would say for first thing, think about whether you could let that happen while keeping the derailing to a minimum. Right. Yeah. If a player wanted to go, if a player wants to go on a side quest, my initial response is always like, let me do it. Yeah. If a player, if a player wants to explore your world, whatever form exploring your world takes. Yeah do it you know that is content the player is giving you content for the game so you should do it that being said if the players are in the middle of something that can be hard to do maybe find a way to rework what it is they want to give them the spirit of what they want but in a way that fits the campaign a little bit better Mm. now as for the actual circumstances here the one character character one died character two a player two is upset Right. That player one's character died. Yeah. Now, what I, I told, this was in Discord. I told uh, uh, Adam this in the Discord. I think what's happening here is that player two, the one that it wasn't playing the character that died, but still in the party, player two is grieving. Everybody grieves in different ways, whether that's in a game, whether that's in real life, whatever. Everybody grieves in their own ways. And. Nobody's way of grieving is right or wrong. The player that played that character probably grieved in their own way, but whatever the reason, they got past it, they made a new character, they're going on with the game. Yeah. Player two probably had a some sort of a connection to character one. I man, I'm doing a real bad job with all these descriptors. <laughs> right, here. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 player the second player probably had an emotional attachment to this other character, and to have them die and not get satisfactorily resolved, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. I'm sure like all of us have been in games where either games or groups of friends or whatever, where somebody leaves, somebody is no longer part of the group and it really sucks. You know, you think back to all of like the good times that you had together and Mm. so on. And that's, that's tough. Eventually I imagine player two will get through this, but if, if they, if they feel that more needs to be done in game, I again, I think that you should try to find a way to make this make mm. this work. Just try not to think of it as player two is trying to derail the campaign. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And more that player two didn't get adequate closure, and they feel that it would enrich the game, it would enrich the world, it would enrich the party if there was something that brought the character back. Now, I'm not saying that character should be a part of the party anymore. Maybe. Well, there's actually a few different ways to do this. Either have the fallen character come back to life and is they they decide to stop adventuring maybe they are technically part of the party but you know they've got their own stuff that they take care of they stay back at the base or whatever sure also you can't force a character to come back from the dead when you do they that is generally when they come back as a zombie <laughs> uh, or like whatever a when you cast raised dead or resurrection or whatever the the soul has to be willing to return mm. and if you don't, if you as the DM don't want this character to come back, and you if you think that it's going to derail a campaign or whatever, you can have it just be that 
the soul doesn't want to return. Right. And maybe if you don't want to go on a side quest only to disappoint, potentially disappoint the player too, you can have it be that like the party cleric or whatever casts speak with dead. Speak with dead. Yeah. And they find out, oh, he, he doesn't want to come back. He yeah. is happy with, he died hero. Maybe, I don't know if he died heroically or not. I, I don't think it says in the question, but uh, maybe like, maybe they didn't die heroically, but they're okay with their fate and, you know, they want everybody to just go on without them. It can even be a, a worthwhile moment of closure if player two spends all this time thinking, okay, uh, I I want this character to be brought back from the dead because this character was our friend and mm-hmm. they deserve another chance at life. Right. And then they find out, oh, no, actually, they, they're okay. They're satisfied. They appreciate that you wanted to bring them back, but... Hey, you've got that bad guy to go kill. Go kill that bad guy. Yeah, I feel like it, being a being a player, you have this sort of balance between going along with mm-hmm. the with the adventure because yeah. you know there's a DM and they they have an adventure in mind for you and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. then you know going along with that or doing what you think your character would do in this situation, which is not always going to go along with sure. what the DM wants. So like, if you're in a world where there is resurrection and your friend dies, mm-hmm. you're going to go find a, a way to resurrect your friend. Yeah. Like that's just got Like if your friend was killed tragically and there, and you know, out there, there are scrolls of raised dead out there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, all right, I'm going to go look for one of them scrolls. Like, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I stop everything I'm doing? Unless there's some immediate peril. Yeah. That's going to like, unless, you know, you know, unless unless I do this other thing, a meteor's gonna hit and destroy the entire world. It's like, well, in that right. case, my friend's dead anyway. So, but like, you know, so I'm, I'm gonna take care of that first, obviously. Yeah. But then afterwards, I'm gonna go find me a cleric high enough level to do true resurrection, and just we'll 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 undo that that you know that tragic moment. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough to rationalize. You know, as the character, like, why wouldn't I sidetrack everything and try to bring my friend back? Yeah. Versus like, no, I'm a player in a group of other like in a real life group of friends who want to play this game. Sure. Let me let's just let's just keep it going. Let's just follow along and, and, you know, see where this leads. And we'll we'll just kind of write that off as like, okay, that was that was tragically sad, but he died at hero's death or whatever. Mm hmm. You know, that's another another story for the funeral pyre, maybe. Sure, you know? sure. So, so like it, it's it's a tough it's a tough balance, and I've gone both ways before, where I'm just yeah. like, let's just keep moving, let's just keep going. Like we don't like I don't want I don't want everybody to get too sidetracked on this sort of thing. So like I try to like push along towards where the DM wants 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 us to go, versus like no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, like orcs are invading. No, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna talk to them. I'm gonna talk to them. Mm-hmm. Like. There, there's no option for me to talk to him. Really? Really? I have a really high charisma. Are you sure about that? <laughs> One thing to sort of uh, prevent this from happening in the first place, maybe have your characters when they're sitting at the bonfire one time, uh, talk about what they want to do if they die. Sure. Say, I don't want to be brought back. I want to, however I die, I want to just let my body rest and, and you know. <laughs> See, that's that's always the moment in like the show or the movie or something like that where like you know someone's gonna die now. It's like, what? oh man, after this job is over, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna marry my girlfriend. Because <laughs> like one more day away from, away from retirement. Exactly. You know? Yeah, this is this is my last this is my last day at work. 
You know? <laughs> yeah. So you, you could have the characters say what they want to, you know, have a, a will of some sort. Right, yeah. Uh, you could, and then you can also, let's say that's already passed, but you want, maybe, I don't know how to word this. There's an example that I have of something that happened in a game that I was in. I was playing as my character, Ichi, and then uh, our good friend, Chris. Dang. So I've got all the all the sound effects in this section. Yeah. Um, Chris's character, Koshi, was also a katana wielder, but he was... Ichi was a barbarian. Koshi was like a fighter rogue. He um, he died. Like there was there was a point where actually Ichi's actions in particular led to Koshi getting killed. <laughs> and uh, there was a point where I think I decided that, that Ichi wanted to take Koshi to his homeland to be buried or resurrected. I think to be buried, I think is what it was. And Chris was was DMing at the time. And he said, he just sort of gave me a very brief narration. He said, like, okay, so you go on this journey, you bring Koshi's remains, and then one day you wake up and his body's gone. And uh, you don't know what happened to him. And then, like, I did some investigation, and then, like, one night Ichi was, like, fighting some bandits or something, and then Koshi shows up, kills all the bandits, and then Ichi's like, what happened to you? And he's like, oh, uh, I wasn't ready to be dead. I've got my own stuff I've got to do. And then he went off and did his own stuff. Huh. So like that was a weird, a little bit of a weird situation because yeah. it was a, a character, but it was also at the time it was the D he was the DM. Mm-hmm. So he had a bit more freedom in what happens. But in that case, like he decided, yes, you, okay. You want closure. That is not just letting this character remain dead. So I'm having this character come back from the dead, but they have their own thing. They're going to go off and do their own thing. You can rest in the knowledge that they are out yeah, there. Yeah. The, the, the only way I see this being a problem is like if it's because player two wants player one to be playing character one. Yeah. Yeah. And not just like, oh, story wise, my character, but like my character wants this character to be alive again. And mm-hmm. it's more, more just like, no, I liked you better as this character. Play this character. That oh, you're, man, you your know. heels were so much better as yeah. that. As that <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, no, we you were our only healer. And now you're rolling a rogue. Stop. Yeah, I guess in that case, that that's a, a bit of a, a different situation. But yeah. um, I don't know if a player want if they want character A to be brought back from the dead, I say. Find a way to make it not impact the campaign too much. Let it happen and then find a way to have that character be a, an NPC or something. Sure. You know. Yeah. All right. So I think that'll do it for our regular questions today. Uh, so I guess let's move on to our social media discussion questions. Mm-hmm. So last week's social media discussion question was, what is your favorite third-party gaming supplement of any system? Mm. So just any sort of gaming supplement that was not made by the company that made the game, but right. made by some third party. Yeah. And I, I said uh, the there was the mongoose books. There was mm-hmm. the quintessential ranger, which I think a cop. I I think I have a copy that one one of you guys got for me for my birthday. Probably because you like rangers. Yeah, yeah. So like I had one of those, and that like you know that was you know sentimental as well as I liked the content in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was like the uh, uh, materials and 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 foci one that Steve had that was like you know different uh, different ways to go about using um, material components and spells. Sure, and spell, sure. Uh, you know, spells. Yeah. And I think I said, uh, mine was probably in third edition. There was a book called beyond monks yeah. way of the fist or something. Yeah. That, that was just, cause I really like monks. I've always liked monks mm-hmm. and it was all like monk prestige classes. And then like monk feats, monk, uh, magic items and such. It was really, really cool. Yeah. I really liked that. 
So over on Facebook, Scott says, Creature Codex by Kobold Press. I highly recommend this book for your current or next campaign. Mm. And I think that's... Um, I'm actually not sure which one that is. Yeah. It's not... For a moment, I thought it was a Tome of Beasts, but no, no, Tome of yeah. Beasts is... Because Tome of Beasts is a bunch of... Mon- is like a monster manual. Yeah. Creature Codex, I don't recall which one that is. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll try to put links to all these in the show notes, though, yeah. so people can, can there, see them. There was one, there's one called, like, a Critter Compendium or something like that, and I want to say that it was basically, like, taking monsters from earlier editions that weren't translated into fifth edition officially. Oh, that's cool. And like moving, basically moving them forward. Sure. Sure. So yeah. Uh, Creature Codex by Cobalt Press uh, was Scott's. Andrew says mine would be the Tal Dore campaign guide by Matthew Mercer and James Heck. Hmm. Hack? Hake? I used it as a basis for creating my Pantheon and using by, and using the village town city descriptions. Uh, I believe... When I was playing as my character, The Shoulder, last year with my friends from work, I think that's the setting that we were in. We didn't play a ton. We only played a few sessions, but uh, I believe it was in yeah. Taldore. Uh, the DM's Council says Legends and Layers is pretty good. Uh, Dave says Arms and Equipment 3.5e. Oh, yeah, the Arms and Equipment Guide? Yes, although technically speaking, it was it was 3e. It was right before 3.5. Yeah? So it is... but, yeah, but the Arms and Equipment Guide was Arms really... and Equipment Guide is what Dave said, yeah. Nice. Over on Reddit... Uh, Vincent Takeda says Grimtooth's Traps. Hmm. Oh, so I'm, I'm not book on traps. Okay. Yeah, book on traps. Probably not a bad uh, investment. Yeah, I, no. I could use some more stuff on traps. Javakler says, for 5e, I love basically everything from Kobold Press. Specifically, I'm really into the Midgard setting. Hmm. It is nice to play in a world that is new to everyone at the table. So that is, uh, I've heard a few episodes of uh, D&D Character Lab. They made characters in that. I think there was even a... Crit Academy episode about it. It is a campaign setting that is like Norse themed. Sure. And so it's got like, I don't know if it's classes, but it's got like races. It's got spells. It's got magic items, all sorts of stuff that are Norse themed. So that's pretty cool. cool. Um, over on Discord, uh, Noah Wizard says, <laughs> Unearth Tips and Tricks Volume 1 from Crit Academy. <laughs> uh, that gets a thumbs up for me because I helped write it. Right. That's, uh, right. that's pretty good. That's uh-huh. Crit Academy's first book. Um, and I mean, it is a good book. Don't get me wrong. Right. Like, I, I don't I don't think he was just saying it because he knew that I had a part in making it, but it is a good book. It's full of tons of great ideas mm-hmm. and any, any player or DM can just flip it open to a page and see cool ideas for what to do in the game. It's it's a really good book and I I hope that they will come out with more of those in the future whether I help write write them or not. Right, yeah. I would love for for there to be more more books exactly like that. Cool. Jason the Human says DM options monster talents is a really interesting supplement to me. Options to add variety to overused monsters is invaluable. I've never actually gotten to the point of using third party supplements being a newer DM, but I can see this one easily fitting into an adventure. And I think that's really cool. Ways to make existing monsters more noteworthy. Sure. Is really yeah. cool. Uh, Adam B says, I love this particular supplement. And uh, they linked lingering injuries by damage type. Okay. Which I think is really cool. So yeah. depending on what type of damage you're using, it's got rules on how to make lingering uh, injuries. I'm, I'm in favor of lingering injuries in general. As long as it doesn't involve called shots, I wish I do think the game could benefit from some form of lingering injuries that isn't just fatigue. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I mean, you know, maybe I'll check that one out. Uh, Noah Wizard said also microbes of malice, which is another it's made by the guys from D&D Character Lab. 
Oh, right. Yeah. And he said he likes that one. Um, uh, oh, he also mentioned that in the Unearthed Chips and Tricks book, he loved the character idea of the medic or healer who has gone crazy. And this supplement made him want to play a character who did all sorts of blood-based magic. That is uh, Microbes of Malice. Sure. So he's sort of combining ideas from the two books. Nice. Um, the Beverage Tea says, this is my take on third-party material. I love to read it to see how other fans and creators enjoy D&D, but I am hesitant to allow it in my games. I know there is tons of quality content out there, and I admittedly consume it, but for games that I run, I like the rule of core books and one uh, and one supplement, and that supplement is usually a Wizards of the Coast product. Mm-hmm. But I am also a rules lawyer. That being said, I acknowledge my shortcomings and wish that I was more flexible in running my games and allowing for variances. Yeah. I, I have a similar, I sort of have a similar uh, way of thinking when it comes to like third party stuff, like yeah, like homebrewing and third party, like to a certain extent, I always feel like it is more of like a power creep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than than the official stuff is. Like yeah. the official stuff always ends up having a power creep to it. Yeah. But you're just going to exacerbate that with third party stuff because, of course, everybody wants to make this cool thing, you know, like they, I have a cool idea for a character. This would be really awesome. Mm-hmm. And you write it out and like, yeah, that is really awesome. It's awesome in part that it might be a little overpowered. Sure. And I, I wholeheartedly agree both with you and with the beverage tea um, in a game. If I'm planning on running a long term game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say core books only. Maybe one additional supplement. Sure. If it is, yeah, if it is going to be an additional supplement, it's going to be a Wizards of the Coast book that I'm already familiar with. Right. Because you can't read every thing on the DMs Guild to find out if it's balanced or not. Right. You yeah. shouldn't have to. But yeah. whatever the case, you know, some sometimes you you let one thing in and then it ruins the game. Sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. I don't blame anybody who just says core stuff only or whatever. If I'm yeah. running a one shot, I'll. Pr- I think with my Roll Twenty games, the rule has been. Uh, anything that has been published. So like if it's on DMs Guild, awesome, but nothing from the D&D wiki, sure. you know, because that that doesn't even pretend to yeah. to to have any sort of like peer review. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I've... Um, Mary Sue says I'm the polar opposite. By and large, I like to run wide open and let the Hulk mania run wild. <laughs> I frequently underestimated the pure audacity of my players under those terms. In my younger days, my philosophy was let them pick whatever they like. If it's so powerful that it's boring or so insane that it's a living nightmare to play, they'll learn from that and create something more interesting and less crazy. Never quite seemed to get to point B though. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can, there's definitely valid, uh, valid viewpoints on both sides mm-hmm. um for people that are less confident in their dm skills i think it's much it's a much better solution just to shut everything off until you're familiar with it and then add in little bits as you go yeah you know and also i just want to mention that uh noah wizard did link the microbes of malice page on dm's guild and the picture on the front of it is adorable <laughs> yeah it's really it cute. is a tiny little bacterium <laughs> with a cloak a dagger and a bag of coins. Yeah. It's or a like, bag of, maybe that's Caltrops. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's basically like <laughs> it's a, adorable. it's a tiny little one celled like organism yes. wearing a, wearing a, like a rogues outfit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. It's pretty good. And then we didn't get any uh, responses on Twitter. So, um, so nobody on there, but yeah, um, I thought that was a, that was a good question to, to get out there. Yeah. So that brings us to our social media discussion question for this week. And mm-hmm. that is, have you ever encountered a cursed item in game? Mm. I can't remember any specific uh, cursed item. I I keep confusing because I know I've done this before. I was confusing. Uh, there is a belt of gender swapping mm-hmm. 
that is cursed in a Baldur's Gate game where sure. when you put it on, you can't take it off unless you get a revert like a remove curse, you know, spell yeah. cast on you. Um and I, like I keep confusing that with there is an archway or something in the Tomb of uh, Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors. I'm gonna think of Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. Right, yeah. Easy mistake. Right, exactly. Um so yeah, in the Tomb of Horrors, there's like an archway or something that when you pass through it, it changes your gender like permanently or until you pass back uh, until through you, or something. Something. It's it's weird. It may it's either that until you pass back through it or it's until you walk through it a second time and then come back. Right. I think it's it's like it's one way, but you can get back around to the other side. I or think something so, yeah. Like that. Yeah, it's yeah. It but yeah, I always confuse those two. But in any case, like that, that's that's the one cursed item I can remember is like yeah. playing Baldur's Gate. You put on this belt and it's like, crap, I, I can't take it off. I can't. Well, I guess. All right. This is fine. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, Doesn't and, change my stats. Whatever. Sure. And I don't I don't think we are implying that having that being of a different gender is a curse. Right. However, having it forced upon you is a curse. Well, sure. Right. And not being able to remove it. Yeah. Well, is, is a curse. Like it. Well, because in my mind, a cursed item isn't necessarily something that does something bad. It's something mm-hmm. that, like, you can't, you don't have a control over. Sure. So, like, a belt, it's a magic belt. It could be beneficial, but if you can't take it off, that's kind of, that kind of sucks. Like, yeah. like, what if I want a, what if I want a different belt? There was, uh, in one of the gold box D&D computer games, I want to say it was Curse of the Azure Bonds, there was a pair of magic bracers of armor you could get that were cursed and if i recall it was just that they just weren't very good Mm. and you just couldn't take them off (laughs) so you couldn't put on better bracers or actual armor because you had these bracers of armor on that were just like the worst possible bracers of armor you could get yeah i don't know um anyway it's like well they're better than nothing and then and then suddenly they're like well they're actually worse than nothing because (laughs) nothing could i could could change something on to something else um, I, when I was playing as Ichi, he got a, an item that is technically, it, it technically has a curse. However, the curse was not one that was a bad thing. Mm. Like in the, in the dungeon master's guide, they have examples of cursed items. One of which is just a sword that like makes you like forces you to attack with it. That's only a curse. That's only a bad thing. If you don't want to attack, <laughs> Ichi got a, uh, it was a necklace that like, it made him immune to a whole bunch of like undead related stuff. But anytime he entered a bar, he had he had like a certain amount of money he had to spend at that bar. <laughs> so like he had to buy drinks for everyone and, you know, drink a ton himself. And hey, I just worked it into the character. So he be, he was the life of the party. Every time <laughs> we would go to the bar in our hometown, he would buy out the bar and it eventually got renamed as Ichi's place because because <laughs> he, just spent so he much money it was his response. It was his fault that there was a second story added on top of it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the closest I've come to personally encountering a, sure. a cursed item. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if anybody else has any experiences out there and, uh, that'll do it for our questions. So let's, uh, let's sit back. Let's relax. Let's take a deep breath. <sighs> and uh, let's remember maybe those who have come before us possibly having dealt with curses in the past mm, mm. as we uh, we as we toss another log onto the funeral pyre. Today's funeral pyre story was submitted by I Carlos on Discord. And uh, Carlos says, We finished our run-through of Chapel on the Cliffs last night. I was the DM, and I got my first ever player death. Oh. 
Small spoilers of the adventure to follow. Okay. After running around the village where the dead rise every night and attack on sight, the players have the idea to speak to a ghost out in the bay. They find a barrel, cut a hole into it, and the halfling Lacey climbed in and set sail to wait for nightfall. Well, there are dead in the bay too, and they take umbrage to Lacey hanging out there. Oh no. The rest of the party watch helplessly from the lighthouse as Lacey gets clawed to death and dragged underwater. Oh no. <laughs> That's really sad. Yeah. Um so I guess let's raise a glass in memory of Lacey who should have gotten a copy of the adventure herself by emailing us at interpartyconflict at gmail.com with chapel on the cliffs of the subject line. Oh yeah. Clink. Clink. Well, that'll do it for today. To submit questions for us to discuss, items for the Dragon's Horde, or stories for the Funeral Pyre, please email us at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. For show notes, links to media mentioned on the show, and running lists of questions and magic items, go to interpartyconflict.com. Join the discussion on social media. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash interpartyconflict, on Reddit at r slash interpartyconflict, on our interparty Discord, or on Twitter at inpartyconflict for our weekly social media questions. Your answers might end up on the show. Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, and your download podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe, or just tell a friend. If you'd like to support the show, check out the rewards at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. There's a few different tiers, so anything you can spare, even a dollar a month, would go towards making the show better, and you'll get bonus content for it. Jeff, tell us about FriendQuest. FriendQuest is our YouTube channel where we play video games. Yes. Check out my side project, the Arcade Memories Podcast. If you'd like to submit your own childhood memories of going to the arcade, record them or write them to me at arcadememoriespodcast at gmail.com. Also, head over to bit.ly slash interpartyconflict to take a short survey about our show, what you like, what you don't like, etc. And just for taking it, you'll get two free printable board games courtesy of Mary and Tom over at hollandspiel.com. And our music is made by Boxcat Games from Nameless the Hackers RPG. So, Jeff, until next time. Gabe, this podcast is cursed. You can't turn it off. Oh, is that a bad thing or a good thing? I don't know. Are we, we're stuck here. Oh. Is the music still going? I think so. Um, um, well. Uh, well, I'm just going to check really, my phone for a little bit. This so is, this, is really, this is really awkward. This is. We got we to gotta get this curse removed. <laughs> All right. Here, I got an app for that. Yeah. <laughs>